so much team for leading us this morning and if you have your bibles we'll be in john chapter one and uh continuing the series that we're uh calling moving forward and and the encouragement for the local church and the encouragement for every local church is this instruction from our savior jesus christ who said that there will be absolutely nothing that can stop his church that even to his disciple Peter in a place called Caesarea Philippi, just north of the Sea of Galilee, in a place that was completely overrun with pagan worship and altars, uh, some would even call it an epicenter for pagan worship, that this would be the place that Jesus Christ said, even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so God's design is to reach the world through the local church through the local church. And so, uh, so there's nothing that can stop the church, but there's a lot of things that can, uh, that can kind of, uh, a, kind of a church can lose its focus a bit that, 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 uh, kind of even with our jobs and those, uh, things that we've done, sometimes we can kind of in routine do what we always do. And in the midst of that, we kind of lose sight or even, uh, like that reason of why are we doing what we're doing? And, and even with the local church, there's this challenge that, that there's, again, nothing that can stop the church, nothing, nothing. But yet, that there, is, uh, there can be, a, whether it's a temptation or losing sight of the mission that's called that purpose drift, that a church can forget why it's here. And so in Scripture, we are reminded that we exist for the glory of God and the mission of God. This is why the church is here, His glory and for His mission. And God's design to reach the world is through the local church, the church that He has bought and purchased with His blood. And so in moving forward, as we move forward, uh, the encouragement is over the next couple Sundays, this month of January, is we are looking at kind of biblical instruction uh, and embracing these principles we see in Scripture to be that church that continues to be a light in a very, very dark place. Last week, we talked about being a disciple-making church, and that's God's design, that there are many things that we can do as a church, and we will do many things, but we must be a disciple-making church, disciples-making disciples. And the encouragement today is that we would be a praying church, praying church. We believe we are a praying church. And, and I also know that I am a work in progress, as maybe, maybe you are as well, and, and we, are, we are unfinished. Uh, that, that as long as we have breath in our lungs, that as a believer, God is designed to grow us and stretch us. And as the Word says in Romans 8, that, that His desire, ultimate will, is that we are conformed to the image of His Son. And as we look at Jesus and we look at His habits, one of the one of the consistent habits we see in the life of Jesus is a habit of prayer. And prayer is more than just uh, letting God know what you want or what you need. Prayer is communion with the Father. It's communion with the Father. Prayer is what happens when God uh, takes our heart and our agenda and moves them to His heart and His agenda. That as you look at the life and ministry of Jesus in Mark chapter 1, that you see that it was his habit that he would often rise very early and would draw to a solitary place. The word says in Mark chapter 1 verse 35 that he would go out, depart to a solitary place and there he prayed. He prayed. 
So as believers, prayer is this gift that He's given us as His church. And as we spend time in communion with the Father, in word, in scripture, in prayer, what happens is you can't spend time with Jesus and others not become very important to you in your life. And so as we look at this, even looking at Scripture, we see God's heart for people. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses. Maybe many of you could quote that verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Why? That whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That God's heart is for those who don't know him we see in mark 10 45 jesus said i have not come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many that christ has come to pay a price for our sin that we could never pay on our own and so he's come not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to make the payment that's necessary for us to be forgiven of our sin that he has come for this reason. He says to Zacchaeus in Luke 19, verse 10, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So this is God's heart. This is God's heart. This is why he's come. So in prayer, there are many things that we can and should pray about. And that in prayer, it is the avenue that we rest in him. Prayer is the avenue that we adore him. Prayer is the avenue that we confess to him. Prayer is the avenue that we give thanksgiving for everything that he has graciously given us. But it's also the place of intercession where we pray for the needs of others. We pray for those things in our lives. And like I said, there are many avenues as we talk about prayer that we could go this morning. But here is one area that I would just encourage us again as a faith family is that one area of prayer that we would lean into and that we would not let up on is never stop praying for lost people to come to Christ. We never stop praying for the lost to come to Christ. This is the heart of the Father. That God's plan A to reach 7.8 billion people on the planet is through the local church. That God's design to reach the over 331 million people in the United States with the gospel is through His plan A, the local church. That God's design to reach the, reach the somewhere in the neighborhood of 2.9 million people in the state of Mississippi that many of us call home. That it's through His plan A, the local church. That God's plan to reach the somewhere in the neighborhood of 187,000 people in DeSoto County and beyond is through the local church. That God's design to reach those in our community some 38,000, obviously, I know our city limits spread into other areas. There's a lot of people all around us, right? God's plan A to reach every single one of them is through the local church. Through the local church. And so God help us always to be praying for the lost. God says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that he's not wishing that any would perish, but that all would reach repentance. And so as we gather today, an encouragement to believers and also an encouragement to those who may not have a relationship with Jesus. But to the believers, may we be encouraged today and challenged to pray for, invest in, and introduce to Christ at least one person. At least one person. You see, because the, the 7.8 billion people and the 331 million people and the 
2.3 million people in our state, 188,000 in our county, the thousands that are in our city, the billions, the millions, the, the thousands, the hundreds, the tens are all made up of the ones. They're all made up of the ones. And so God help us. God help us to never lose sight of the one. Yes, pray and reach as many people as you can. Absolutely. I'm not saying not more than one, but I'm saying at least one. And so we're going to be encouraged and challenged in this text today of a disciple named Andrew, who's maybe not as famous or not as well known as a lot of the other disciples, but yet when we watch his life and we see his experience in following Jesus, he was always in the background and he was quietly bringing the one to Jesus. And so in John chapter one, just a little bit of context, John the Baptist is out and he's baptizing. He's the forerunner. He's the voice. He's the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the way of the Lord. The centuries before the prophecy said the forerunner would come. And this is John the Baptist and he's baptizing with water. Baptism of repentance, pointing to the Messiah. And then there was the day where Jesus Christ came walking in front and walking toward. And it's in this passage today that we see that John, that John says, behold, the Lamb of God. And John has disciples. These are guys that would have committed their life to living life alongside John the Baptist, walk alongside him. So can you imagine all John the Baptist has been investing and mentoring and pouring into his disciples? And now, now the news they're about to get, there's no way to rightly articulate what their minds and hearts would have been doing when these words were uttered from John the Baptist. So look at John chapter 1, verse 35. And the Bible says this. It says, the next day, again, John was standing. This is John the Baptist standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. This wasn't the first time that John's disciples would have heard John say that. Matter of fact, if you were just to go back up to verse 29, you would have seen this is the day before that Jesus, when he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like for, for, for that Jewish disciple, right? That Jewish follower, this would have been what they had spent their entire lives looking for, hoping for, praying for. That Messiah is the anointed one. It's the only one that could rescue them. It's the only one that could rescue them from their sin and give them victory and give them life. He's the only one. So in verse 35, the next day, again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And Jesus knows everything. <laughs> he, 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 he discerns their thoughts from afar. The word says he, he's not curious what's going on. He knows exactly what's going on. But I love that Jesus is the divine question asker. And what he's asking is, what's your motive? What is your motive to, to, to follow me? What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And they're not so much interested in the lodging details of Christ. What they want is they want time with Jesus. 
They want to interview him. This is the long-awaited Messiah. They have, can you imagine all the questions that they would want to ask and they would want to spend time with Christ? And so I love this. Jesus said to them in verse 39, come and you will see. And I would just encourage, if you are in the room today, apart from a relationship with Jesus and you're seeking truth, you're seeking God, you're seeking, is His Word true? What I know with 100% confidence is that God always welcomes those who earnestly seek him. And I believe with all my heart will reveal himself in truth. He says, come and you'll see. And so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. And it was about the 10th hour, about four o'clock. So they're wrapping up the day. They're wrapping up the day. And in verse 40, the Bible says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, I love this about Andrew because oftentimes in the word, it will be Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Again, I mentioned he, he's not, for some would say, maybe a significant role, not talked about a lot. He's certainly in the groupings when the disciples are listed. And, and even with that, that, that uh, he's a part of a few stories, but maybe not that, that kind of upfront guy that you think about. And so even in the text, they're like, well, who's Andrew? He's Simon Peter's brother. I'm a younger brother. I don't know how many are younger brothers, younger siblings, or have older brothers, older siblings. Uh, but I, for, for half of my life, I have an older sister named Jenny. And for half of my life, I was not Jared. I was just Jenny's little brother because <laughs> I made it my aim to get on her nerves, I guess, you know. And so, and so it'd be like, who is this guy? Who is this? And it's like, oh, that's Jenny's brother. That's Jenny's little brother. That was me. And so for Andrew, whether he was the younger brother or, or maybe just seen not as important, where you see with Andrew is he's Andrew, um, Simon Peter's brother. And what's amazing in this text also that we see about Andrew is he's known as the first disciple. He's the first one. It mentions two, likely the disciple John, the author of this gospel. And so Andrew, the first disciple here. And when we look again at Andrew, he's not preaching to the multitudes. He's not up there preaching to thousands. He's not even leading the disciples. But when you see him, he's quietly working in the background. He's working in the background. He's serving in the background. He's faithfully praying, serving. Uh, and, and even with that, let us also not kind of think when we hear that, that he must be kind of maybe not a strong leader or whatever. Andrew, uh, I don't know if we have any Andrews in the house, but Andrew actually means manly. That's his name. Andrew is manly. He's manly. He's decisive. He's bold. He's determined. But he's a disciple that faithfully brought the one. He's a disciple that faithfully brought to one. Often it's those serving behind the scenes, quietly, faithfully, prayerfully sharing Christ with others that are making a kingdom impact. And so we see Andrew reaching out to the one. We'll see in just a minute. He will be of first importance. He will race to go share the good news with his brother. But we also see him in John chapter 6. And that's a great miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. The Bible in the text there uh, says 5,000 men. So if you factor in the, the women and the children, there could have been as many as 20,000 people on that mountainside. FedEx Forum, it's more than that. Okay, FedEx Forum sits around 18,000 something at a basketball game. We're talking 
tons and tons of people. And so Jesus says to his disciples, he says, well, where are we to buy bread so that these people can eat? Again, Jesus is omniscient. He knows absolutely everything. He knows how it's all going to play out. And so you have Philip over there and he's like, well, 200 denarii wouldn't be enough for that. That would be a day's wage. So he's, he's the analytical one. He's doing the numbers. The numbers aren't working. And then, and then, but what you see is, uh, excuse me, Andrew, Andrew was the one who's taking all of this in and he's like, hold on, there's one, there's one, there's a, there's a boy, he's a young boy. And so he goes to the one who has bread and fish just a little bit and he brings this one little boy to the Messiah and it's when he brings him to the Messiah that God does what only he can do. Can you imagine the conversation that Andrew might have had with this young boy? He's like, hey, man, you got some bread and fish? Come with me. <laughs> Where are we going? Where are we going? I don't know. He's like, he's like I want to introduce you to the one to change my life. I want to introduce you the one that can rescue you. I want to introduce to you the one the whole world has been waiting for. And he's finally here. And if you know the story that Jesus does an incredible miracle, that there's 12 basketfuls left over when it's all wrapped up. And yet, where was Andrew in the story? He wasn't up front. He was, on, he was, he was taking note of this one boy and bringing this one to Jesus. And God used the one to reach the one that would reach thousands. It's been said, and I believe this is true, that most don't come to Christ through a sermon. Many do. Many people have, have sat under a gospel teaching, gospel preaching. The Holy Spirit has convicted their hearts of their need for Jesus. And they pray to accept Christ. Many do. But most come to Christ through the influence of a person. They come to, God, to Christ through the influence of an individual. So one truth we see in Andrew to encourage us and challenge us too is that Andrew had a burden for the one. He had a burden for the one. In verse 40, the Bible says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah which means Christ. We don't have the dialogue of the conversation, but Andrew, John went, spent this time with Jesus. All we know is what Christ shared with them in that moment was all they needed to know that Christ was the Messiah. It could have looked something like Luke chapter 24 after the resurrection where Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus. And these two disciples, they don't realize who Christ is, but yet he's talking to them. And in Luke 24, verse 27, the Bible says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Continue to read the story. Their eyes were opened. They understand Christ is the Messiah. And they say this, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us. And so for Andrew, this is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the anointed one, and he had a burden for the one. He had this priority. It says he first, he first found his brother. This was his first action. Nobody even had to tell him, hey, you need to encourage you to tell somebody about Jesus. He just, he ran, he went. 
And this first indicates that this was a priority to him. And the challenge is that as believers, that we may never introduce another person to Jesus if he's not our priority. So Andrew is the one who would reach the one that would reach the thousands. And God help us to have a burden. God help us to have a burden. Help us to have a fresh burden for people to know Jesus. I for one am thankful that on June 27th, 1989, that there was an 8th grader named Stephen Howell. 8th grader named Stephen Howell. And, 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 and Stephen Howell had a burden. And Stephen Howell, after a church service, after the sermon, after the amen, he stopped a, a fourth grader named Jared Brooks. And he stopped a fourth grader on his way to play basketball. And he got in front of me and he simply said this. This is what he said. He said, Jared, he said, do you want to be saved? That you got to understand, I mean, some of y'all can relate. I was like born in church. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I was born in church. Grew up. I was always there Sunday morning, always there Sunday night, always there Wednesdays. I, I, I can't tell you how many messages that I had heard preached, um, even Sunday school, being able to maybe give some answers and things like that. But the thing about that is for, for all of my 10-year-old life up to that point, it was all information. It was all information that there had never been that time and place where I understood that I was a sinner and that I repented of my sin and placed my faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And he saved my life. And I can look back with great peace and know on that day, my life has never been the same. But there have been all kinds of ups and downs and twists and turns and upside downs and, and, and all of that. But the thing is this, is it, it began with a burden. And my hunch, I don't know my hunch, is Stephen Howe probably had an idea that night that he was going to talk to me. <laughs> and I'm so thankful he did. I'm so thankful that Andrew reached out to the one. And so it could be eighth graders. If there's any eighth graders in the room, <laughs> who's your one? Tenth graders, who's your one? Young adult, who's your one? Mom, who's your one? Dad, who's your one? Who is it that as a believer, God has placed in our circle of influence to share the greatest news that could ever be shared, the hope of the gospel? But he, it wasn't just that he had a burden for the one. Andrew brought this one to the one, Jesus. In verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. I love that, that word. Andrew was a bringer. He was a bringer. He was an inviter. He was an introducer. This was who he was. This is what he did. It's been said that Andrew is seen, the disciple Andrew is seen as the first ever home missionary. First one. Why? Because the first thing he did was he went to share with his brother about the Messiah. It's also been said that he's the first foreign missionary. In John chapter 12, verse 20, the Bible says that among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And listen to what verse 22 says, And Philip went and got Andrew. <laughs> like, like Philip wasn't like, All right, guys, let's go. He said, All right, y'all hold back here. And I, my hunch is he knew Andrew <laughs> had a heart for reaching those ones. And so that he went and he got Andrew and they brought him to Jesus. Andrew was an inviter. He was an introducer. He was a bringer. Statistics are out there, but statistics would say that uh, you all have some space around you there on the pews. 
this morning, uh, but the stats would say that 96 out of every 100 persons that would walk inside a church will walk on the arm of a friend. That they'll, 96 out of 100 people, 96% of people will come here because a friend invites them. That's why. The, the statistics also say 20% of believers would invite another believer. 2% of Christ followers would invite a lost person to come and see. means 98% would not extend that invitation to someone apart from Christ. Other stats say that over half of churchgoers uh, have shared their faith. Uh, excuse me, less than half have shared uh, had a gospel conversation shared about Christ in the past six months. Also says even half of those would say they rarely or never pray for someone who doesn't know Christ or for an opportunity to share the gospel. And so the encouragement is God help us to have a burden for the one, but also not even just a burden, but to bring the one to the one Jesus. There's all kinds of great testimony, but uh, many of you have heard of Moody Bible Institute up in Chicago. They've trained thousands and thousands of, of uh, those uh, Christians called the ministry. Uh, and, and not only that, but D.L. Moody was the one who founded that. He was an evangelist pastor. Literally tens of thousands of people came to Christ through the ministry of D.L. Moody. And so maybe even many Moody Radio, you, you've heard that name, you've heard that name, but probably very few of you have heard of the name Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. He was a Sunday school teacher who had a burden. And he was a, a Sunday school teacher there, had a burden because this 18-year-old uh, guy had visited his Sunday school class. And so God put that burden on his heart, and he knew that God wanted him to share the good news of Jesus with this 18-year-old. And so Edward Kimball, this is his words, not mine, but he says, I'm a timid, soft-spoken man. So if anybody can relate... You know, timid, soft-spoken, this is, this is Mr. Edward Kimball, but yet he had to go and share. And so he made his way to a shoe store, a shoe store where this 18-year-old worked. And as he's going, he's all worked up inside. <laughs> he's nervous. He's like, well, he's wondering, well, what is he going to say if I just walk into the shoe store and start sharing the gospel with him? Or what are his coworkers going to say? Are they just going to think I'm trying to make a, a good boy out of him? Like he's thinking all those things. He even says as he went that he walked by the, book, the, the shoe store. But then he said when he had realized he had gone past, he determined to make a dash for the door. And he says to have it over at once. In other words, he was just like... Okay, I got to share. I got I to gotta jump in. I got to get this over with. And so, so he goes in the door. And the, as the story goes, Kimball found Moody in the stockroom and spoke to him with limping words, he says. He says, I never could remember what I said. He said something about Christ and his love. And that was all. He admitted that it was a weak appeal, a weak gospel presentation. But on that day, an 18-year-old Moody received the gospel, and then and there gave his heart to Jesus. This man who literally tens of thousands of people have come to Christ under his ministry, trained workers for the gospel, and yet you can trace it back to a Sunday school teacher who had a burden, who was timid and shy and nervous about what was going to happen, but just had to be obedient to the Lord. And he went and he shared 
This is the testimony of one who would share with the one who would impact thousands. He would all introduced with a faithful witness to Jesus. I'm so thankful Mr. Edward shared. I'm so thankful he shared. I'm so thankful that he didn't let a fear of not having all the answers stop him. I'm so thankful that he didn't let a busy schedule stop him. I'm so thankful that he didn't let, uh, you know, a fear of rejection stop him. I'll just say as a, uh, you know, somebody saved by the grace of God through somebody who cared enough to me to share the gospel with me, that I'm so thankful that Stephen Howe, an eighth grader, didn't kind of be like, I don't know, what's he going to say? I don't know. I'm so thankful that he didn't go, well, what if he asked a bunch of questions that I don't know the answer about? I'm just thankful he didn't let any of those things get in the way. He just had a burden for me and he shared Jesus with me and I gave my heart to Jesus and my life has been changed ever since. And so God help us to have a burden, have a burden for the one. And I'm so thankful for Andrew and scripture, his burden for the one and not just his burden, but how he went to introduce the one to the one, the Messiah. And so as we look at this text and we're praying about being a praying church and we are a praying church and we're all unfinished and we're all growing, we're all stretching and and we're all desiring, God's desiring His Holy Spirit work in us, mold us more and more into His image that as we begin to continue to grow in His likeness that we would never stop praying for the lost to come to Christ, that we would never grow cold to the gospel, that we would never lose sight of this mission that he's entrusted us with, and that we would never lose sight that we have been entrusted with the greatest message that could ever be shared. And so the question that we ask ourselves, this isn't me preaching to you, (laughs) this is all us together right here. But the question that we ask, I want to ask to the believers in the room, who is your one? Who is your one? For Andrew, it was for his brother. For, for Andrew, it was the boy with the loaves and the fish. Who is your one? Students, who is that one that's in your class? Who's that one that's in your grade? Co- don't, who's, that, who's that worker in your workplace? Who's that, who's that family member? Who's somebody who doesn't know Christ? Who is your one. And the encouragement for us is we have somewhere about in the neighborhood of 50 weeks left in this year. And, and, and so the encouragement is, is over the next 50 weeks, would we take some very specific actions with whoever those ones are in our life? The first encouragement is, would you pray for your one? Would you pray for your one? So, so for some, it might be, you know, I, I don't, nobody's coming to mind right now. It would just be praying. Take some time. God, pray. Who is, who's my one? Who's my one? Who's my one? And, and, and we, uh, if you came into the, to the worship center today, inside the connection guides, we have uh, a little booklet there that, uh, and we have lots of these. So if you miss this, we have plenty. Even if you just go out the doors, look on the table, they look like this right here. It says 30 day prayer guide. Who's your one? And, and the encouragement is, is that for the next 30 days as a faith family is that we would pray specifically for our one. This is a great tool, a great resource. And then even if you get to the end of 30 days and you're like, I'm not sure, like cycle back around, like just keep praying. This is such a great tool to keep praying for the lost in front of us. There's a little bookmark that goes with it. You can tuck inside your Bible. 
But it's just praying, praying for the one, praying for an opportunity. Will you pray for your one in 2021? Another would be, will you invest time in your one? Just between you and the Holy Spirit, lays it on your heart. I'm going to ask this person if they want to, um, you know, go out for a cup of coffee, have lunch. I, I love this, this phrase. I, I heard one pastor say, you don't need a passport if you have a dining room table. You, like, you, you can invite them into your home. And, and, and that in that, that you would share your story. You would share your story. If you've never shared your testimony, I encourage you to get a, little, get a little piece of paper. What did my life look like before Jesus? How did I accept Jesus? And what does my life look different with now that I've accepted Jesus? And, and just share that with somebody. Maybe share it with somebody in your family. But that you would invest your time in your one. And that in this year, you would introduce your one to the one, to Jesus. You would invite them into a relationship with Jesus. And again, the challenge isn't like to stop at one, but, but, but I've found that when you're intentional, it changes everything. And, and sometimes it's important to remember those big numbers are all made up of the ones. And so that we would be intentional to pray for our one, invest in our one, introduce our one to Jesus. Even this Wednesday, Pastor Michael is going to be leading a study called Three Circles, and it's really just a way to have a gospel conversation. Maybe you're like, you know what, I really feel like, like I'd like to be kind of trained up. Well, here's an opportunity for that. But I also want to encourage you as a believer, like, hey, you have a testimony. God's equipped you with His Spirit to be a witness. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth. Share your story. And that over this next 50 weeks, that we would be able to see some testimonies begin to arise of how God was faithful in answering our prayers. God was faithful in providing us opportunities. And God was, uh, God was powerful to provide that, that power to be able to share the gospel and see people come to Jesus. But God, help us. Help us to pray for the one. I thank, I thank the Lord for Andrews. Um, Andrews who who maybe he wasn't the one that preached to the thousands on Pentecost or leading the disciples, but he was quietly, faithfully, prayerfully bringing ones to Jesus, bringing ones to Jesus. May we bring ones to Jesus. And so as believers, we start with prayer. We start with communion with the Father. And it could be here in a moment, we're going to have a time of response, and it could be that they're right there at your pew that, that you would even feel led to even in this time pray, pray for that one. It could be that you would want to come and pray at the altar. Well, if pastors here would love to pray over you, uh, pray for that one. God, help us to have a burden for the one. And so pray, invest, and invite. Pray, invest, and invite. And then I mentioned with, with this message is that, uh, you know, with, we see this example of a, of a changed life, this disciple Andrew but, but to those who may be in the room who may be seekers, who may be seeking truth, may be listening online and being like, I'm, I'm seeking, I'm just looking to see what's true. I, I would just lovingly and graciously, as we end our time here in the Word, is just the way this eighth grader named Stephen Howe slid in front of me as I was making a beeline for the gym. And he looked into my eyes and he simply said this. He said, do you want to be saved? And so I want to ask that question here, even in this room and even folks listening online is the question is this. Do you want to be saved? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? It's the most important decision 
you will ever, ever make. And I remember as I looked at Stephen Howe, that eighth grader, as a fourth grader, and I was like, yes, I do. He walked me, he walked me to a side room. And we sat down and he got a chair and I got a chair and he gave me a Bible and he opened his Bible. He said, I want you to turn to Romans 3.23. And so I opened and read, uh, I went to Romans 3.23. He said, I want you to read that. I said, okay. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He said, Jared, do you, he said, do you understand that? Do you understand that, that all have sinned and fall short of the God? I don't have to tell anybody that I'm not perfect. I know that. That's, that's an easy one, right? He said, okay, well, I want you to go over to Romans 6, 23. And he flipped over. He said, I want you to read it. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. He looks at me. He's like, do, do you understand that? Do you understand that there is a wage? There is a payment for your sin. Do you understand that? Yes, I understand that. He said, okay, I want you to go to Romans 5, 8. And he flipped over and he opened the Bible. He said, he said, here, I want you to read this. And he said, but God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He said, Jared, do you understand that? And as a 10 year old boy, the Holy Spirit began to convict my heart of my sin and my need for Jesus. And it, he said, do you understand? I said, yeah, like in spite of your sin against the Holy God, Christ loved you so much that he died on the cross to make that payment for your sin. The only one, the Messiah, the anointed one could do. And then he went over, he said, one more verse. And he flipped over, he said, I want you to go to Romans 10, 9. And he flipped over to Romans 10, 9. He said, here, I want you to read this. And he said, he said, uh, I want you to read it. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He said, do you understand that? I said, yes, I understand that. He looked at me. He said, Jerry, do you want to pray right now to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life? I said, I absolutely do. He said, you've heard the word. You know the word. God will hear your prayer. And we just bowed. He said, pray to God. And as best I knew in a 10-year-old heart, I prayed to Christ. And I prayed, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I'm not perfect. But I know you died on the cross for my sin. I know you lived a perfect life, a life that I could never, ever live on my own. That you were crucified on a cross. You were placed in the tomb and you rose from the dead. You were resurrected from the dead. I believe that with all of my heart. And today I am turning from myself in sin and I am turning to you and I am accepting you as the Lord of my life. And based on the promise of Scripture that I know, that I know, that I know that I have a relationship with King Jesus and that I have experienced His grace and do on a daily basis and have been forgiven of my sin and I have been given the gift of His Holy Spirit to be for me what I could never be for my own, that He has given me a mission and a purpose that is way bigger than anything I could ever script for myself and not only that, but He has called me to be a part of this mission and not only that, but that I get to spend eternity with him. And so do you know Jesus? Do you need to be saved? I pray today will be the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you so much for this text. Thank you so much for Andrew's testimony. Doesn't have to be up front. Doesn't have to be the leader. But yet he was faithfully, prayerfully, intentionally bringing those who need Christ to the Messiah. 
God, thank you so much for Stephen Howell. This eighth grade boy who had a burden, but it didn't stop there. The burden moved to action and he stopped me on that night and he asked me a question. He asked me a question that I'm so thankful he asked. Do you want to be saved? I said, absolutely. Yes, I do. Thank you, God, for Stephen. Thank you that he cared enough to ask a 10-year-old boy that question. But Father, we look at the text and we are reminded it is crystal clear there is one hero in this text. And it's not Andrew, and it's not Simon Peter, and it's not John. It's you. Father, you are the hero. You are the treasure. And so, Father, I pray as believers that we would be committed to bringing the ones, praying for the ones, investing in the ones, and God, bringing them to you. You are the treasure. And so, Father, may we be faithful. May we be a praying church, praying for the lost to be saved. And, Father, I pray that if there is anybody here who does not have a relationship with you, God, that today would be the day of salvation. God, thank you for loving the one. <laughs> thank you for loving the one. And thank you for being the one who brings salvation to all who call upon the name of the Lord. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. And uh, we're going to have a time of, of response. And again, praying for the lost. Praying for people who don't know Jesus. Praying for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Who is your one? Let's pray. Let's lift up prayers as the body of Christ. And intercede for those who need Christ. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you. Would you come? We would love to pray over you, encourage you, walk alongside you. But this is a time that we intercede to our Lord. Let's pray together.